Good morning, brothers and sisters. So there's a little bit of a special thing today. Andrew is going to come up here and share a word with you about something that has been on his heart recently. Hey, if any of you know me, you know I don't stand before a group and speak very well. I get, no, I get scared, my voice trembles. So since I can't speak, I'm going to try to do this. Yeah. Thanks to everyone for your calls, your visits, your gifts. I requested no food or flowers. Thanks for honoring that request. If another family wants food or flowers, please send them. I did not request no visits. I requested that you call first. And most of all, though, I thank you for your prayers, prayer work. As Connie's caregiver, I was able to do things that I couldn't have done on my own. Prayer work. God's answer to that prayer was yes. He gave me what I needed to care for her. God didn't heal Connie. And we were here, but his answer to that one was no. Instead, he healed her and took her to heaven. That makes me want to go while leaving. And I didn't name anyone in here, but I'm about to right now. I want a special thank you to our pastor and his family. He was great. He spent a lot of time with me, especially during the recent days of Connie's sickness. And I'm thanking his family because his family gave his time to that. Thank you. Thank you for your testimony. And again, we serve a great God. A God that allows us to go through things that we never thought we could go through to be people we never thought we could be. And, um, Again, brother, you, I'm going to have to get on you for mentioning me. I'm just here because God sent me, and God will use us however he sees fit. But again, I don't deserve your kind words. If you would, turn your copy of God's Word. We're going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians. And this week in preparation for this sermon, um, there's been a lot of interruptions. There's been a lot of occurrences in, in my family's life, in my life. But I'll tell you one thing. God's Word is eternal. God's Word has already been written, and we're revisiting. We're looking in areas that you've probably already read. But maybe I hope in, in my life, and hopefully for yours, God has something new for you today, something that's going to touch your heart, change how you interact with other people, change how you pray, change how you look at the next sunrise, but just hope that something changes, because sometimes when change comes, we resist it. But I'll tell you, change always comes bearing gifts. Sometimes not the gifts that we would hope, sometimes not the gifts that we prayed for, but when God changes something in your life, it comes bearing gifts. So if you would, please stand in honor of God's word as we read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You may be seated. Let us take a second to open this today, this moment today in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your love for us. We ask, Father, that you would bring your presence to bear in this room, Lord. We ask that as we have gathered together in your name, your spirit would move among us and guide and direct us in such a way that we would see your spirit move. Father, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase in this few moments of preaching. Lord, I ask that your word would come alive for us once more, knowing that it is infallible and sufficient for our needs. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In that, this week has been one where there's been a few interruptions. But I'll tell you, this week, through getting a few stitches and having to take a little bit more ibuprofen than normal, um, if you get to know me over the next coming years in a more personal way, I'll tell you, I don't like medicine. Not that it's bad, but that I know that in my body, God can heal and I can continue on. If I feel a little discomfort, I need to fix the problem, not the pain. Because the pain comes from the problem. But in that, there are some things that your pastor is learning that you just have to be patient. God heals over time, not in an instant like a lightning bolt. The pain may come on like a lightning bolt, but the solution is not as quick. But in that, God proved to me this week again, and I hope this is true in your life and maybe you just need to be reminded, when you pray and you ask God to use you and you go out in His name to do ministry or a kind work or just to love on someone, the things that are bothering you seem to be so small at that moment. When you, when you have that pain in the moment and you say, God, I can't do anything for you today. I don't even feel like getting out of bed. I've got so much that's pulling me back. And he says, just set out on the same course that I've already told you to do. I'll provide for your needs. I'll make sure you have what you need. I'll make the things that are big in your life become small. That Goliath is nothing compared to me. And that's what I was rediscovering this week. But I also want to let you know that sometimes how we act, other people see it and they take note. Have you ever heard that phrase, well, that's not very Christian of you. Well, that's not very Christian of him. I don't know when that started in our culture. I don't know who was the first one that can coin that and say, man, I went after somebody today and told them they weren't very Christian today. But again, when you hear that, you kind of have that feeling of, how do I take that? How do I digest it when someone says, well, that's not very Christian of you? This morning, we're going to be looking in God's Word on the mannerisms of a Christian, the way in which we live our life. Because remember, we're supposed to look like Christ, not like ourselves. We become a new version of ourselves when we become like Christ. When we take off the old self and put on the new self, when we walk in the likeness of Christ, and so really, when someone looks at us and we're not acting like Christ, they can say, well, you're not acting very much like Christ. And it should be synonymous with, you're not acting very Christian. But again, 
most of the time that isn't used to encourage us on to good works, to encourage us on, rather just to judge and to leave someone wounded. To say, you're not acting very Christian. I don't have time to fix you. I don't have time to bear with your, your problems. I just want you to stop it. I just want you to feel bad and move on. Is that really what God's calling us to do? Is that who God's calling us to be? I bet some of the young folks here this morning that are still in grade school would affirm, who, who is Jesus to you? It's normally when we think of Jesus, we think of a man that's clothed in Middle Eastern clothing, nice hair, a gentleman speaking kindly to folks, going around. But I'll tell you, he probably didn't have soft hands. He probably didn't have a clean face all the time from the wind and the hard lifestyle of being a carpenter for a number of years. He probably didn't have the most fragrant smells as we have now. For us who adorn ourselves and, and smell nice when we go out in the day. But those aren't the things that we're looking at. We're not looking at the appearance. When someone comes up to you and says, that's not very Christian of you, they're not coming after your attire most likely. They're not coming after you how you smell or how soft your hands are. They're coming after you about how you act. Well, hopefully I'll be able to preach here next Sunday after reading the scriptures and sharing what God's put on my heart. But God calls us to live in a manner that's worthy of the calling that we have been called. God's calling us to act in a certain way. And it changes how we dress, and it changes how we smell and how we look, but rather it also changes our character at the core. We have to become like Christ and not like the world. And that's hard for us. Brothers and sisters, that is so hard because we want to deal with the symptom, not the problem. We want the pain to go away, but we don't want the transformation. We want the people not to see what we're doing, but we only want to stop it when we're in public, not when we're in we're willing to say, God, I'll act real Christian when people can see me, but when people can't see me, I might slip here and there. But rather, we should have the same desire uniformly because God always sees every action. When I got the joy of having stitches this week, I had to choose what words were going to come out of my mouth when I was experiencing pain. And yes, I can say, God, I know that you've done a good work in me. I'm not in control all the time, Lord. I can't prevent things from hurting me. But I can allow you to change me so that when I'm hurt, I don't lash out in anger. When I'm injured, when someone comes up and says, that's not very Christian of you, I can ask the question, how can I love on you today then? Instead of lashing out. This morning, we're going to be focusing on discovering the manner of a Christian's walk. And brothers and sisters, I want you to walk with me in this because... I'm growing in this too. I hope by the time that God calls me home that I'm better at it than I am today. Because that's what I want for all of us this morning. Take a look in verse 1. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. We don't always get to choose our circumstances. Paul being a prisoner, Maybe this week you felt like a prisoner. Maybe this week you went through some pain that you didn't feel like you deserved. Or maybe you didn't enjoy. But in that, we don't always get to choose our circumstances, but God can still use them. But in this, notice that the author here says, implore you to walk. Not command, not demand, not severely instruct, but implore. I know this is good for you. Please hear my advice. This is how God speaks to us. Not I will break you, but rather I ask you to come with me. 
hear God's voice this morning when he's asking us to change, not commanding. The calling of which we have been called. God calls us to be saved, and once we're saved, he calls us to be sanctified. If we are to walk in his likeness, we have to take action. That's why there's an employment for action. He's asking us to come with him, and that's why we hear this word again, to walk. We are commanded and instructed and even implored before to walk in the good works. Not because we have to create them, but because they're already created and we're supposed to walk in them. That was in chapter 3. In chapter 4, he's a little bit more gentle with us in saying, just walk in this manner. Walk in this way that Christ walked. Most of us struggle with this. But hear me this morning, it is not impossible. So, as we see God's word tell us what we are to do, I want to encourage you where it leads us. It leads us to being a healthy church. It leads us to who we need to be as a church. Members of a healthy church are encouraged to embody these four things. The first thing is humility. In that humility is not something that we generate on our own. There we go. Humility is something that comes from God. It's a spiritual gift. And this is how it kind of works itself out in us. It's esteeming others better than oneself. We get this out of verse 2. With all humility. The culture that we are in now, humility is kind of this neutral. If you want it, you can have it. Just don't force it on other people. But in the culture in which this was written to the early church, humility was seen as a weakness. Seen as something you didn't want to have. Because if you were humble in spirit, if you were a humble person considering the needs of others before your own, you would be taken advantage of. You would be made a spectacle because you were not considering your own needs. You were not defending your own rights, not defending your own ability to obtain things. You were allowing others to dictate to you who you were going to be. That was shameful and lowly. How hard is that for us to see that now, that when we take on humility, people look at us and say, that's great, you should be humble, and I want you to be humble, and don't ever make me be humble. See the irony there? Humility is a command by the culture, but it's not demonstrated in the culture. We live in a culture where people say, you need to act like a Christian, but I am not going to treat you as a Christian should be treated with love and respect because you're making a difference in my community. Rather, it's, well, why didn't you wait for me when I was trying to cross the crosswalk in front of you? Why did you beep the horn at me while I was in the... the the traffic pattern, and I was waiting for the light to turn yellow. It was green. I didn't like that color. I was waiting for yellow. Why did you beep at me when I was waiting? In that, in our culture, people say, you should just be humble because you're a Christian. Well, God tells us the same, but it's a place of honor for us to be humble. Not because it puts us above others, but because it makes us like Christ. Let me remind you Christ's words in Matthew chapter 11. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. When you think about Christ, we must think that he is a gentle and humble man in heart. Does that mean he has the soft hands and the clean haircut and the soft spoken words at all times? No, it means that his character is in its nature gentle 
and humble in his heart. It was said back in 2011 by Malcolm Forbes, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. Take that and put that onto Christ. What could we do for him? Nothing. What could we bring to him as an offering that he didn't already own? Nothing. Christ had everything, set it aside, came to be a man, and fully God at the same time, and loved us when we had nothing to offer. That is how you can judge the character of Christ. When we had nothing to offer, he still gave. In this life, if we are to be humble in spirit, if we are to demonstrate humility, it is measured by how we treat those who can do nothing for us. When you come to that person and they have nothing they can give to you, your gain is to love them like Christ loved you when you had nothing you could give to Christ so that he would gain. This is the test of the character of the Christian. This is what pushes us beyond who we once were. This is what makes us different from the world, is that we separate ourselves from the world and say, I want to be like Christ. But also, we are to be gentle. The gentleness which is considering others and waiving one's rights. Do you see the theme that comes from these words that God uses to describe the manner that we're supposed to be walking in? Others. Others are more important than ourselves. Not that we hurt ourselves so that others may have a status above us, but rather that we see the need and we meet it. In that, in Matthew chapter 22, 21, this is the saying of Christ as he's getting to that point in his ministry where he will have the triumph, triumphal entry into the holy city. And it says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey. Christ had the option. Again, he didn't choose it, but Christ had the option to redeem his people in a forceful manner, and he chose gentleness instead of force. I do not fully comprehend the mind of God, and I will never pretend to, by God's grace, to keep me in that status. But in that, why did he choose to be gentle instead of forceful to redeem his people? Because this is the character of Christ. This is his nature. But see, when I was thinking of Christ, when I was back in my first opportunity with a mentor, someone who was pouring into me, I didn't want a gentle and humble God. I wanted a strong God. I wanted someone that would stand up for my rights, someone that would be a conquering king. And my mentor quickly reminded me, Christ came to show us who we should be, and then he will come in force when the time is right. Christ is not this weakling that has nothing to offer us but gentleness and humility and is absent of power, absent of strength, absent, absent of stoutness in which he would be able to endure the hardships. But rather, his character and nature is gentle and humble because that is who he is. And he has all that is available to him, but he chooses not to use it. Some of your translations may have the word gentleness as meekness. The definition of meekness by some that are wiser and smarter than I is that meekness is strength and power under control. 
Christ had all the ability to conquer, and yet He chose to be born in a manger. He had all the ability to topple the Roman government, but He said, no, I will choose disciples that have no background in warfare or in tactics or even in religious training. He chose the meek and humble path instead of the warrior's path. That does not mean that He is not a warrior, but rather He chose a path that we would not acknowledge unless He was the Son of God. Many had come and called themselves saviors for the nation of Israel, and they had waged war, especially during the Maccabean Wars, but in that, they did not prevail. Christ came in a gentle way, and He prevailed. Brothers and sisters, if we hope to advance the kingdom, we can't do it by unnecessary force. If we hope to advance the gospel in our neighborhoods and on Jenkins Valley Road and beyond, we can't go out there and kick down doors and hold people hold people in such a way in which they accept the gospel by force. That is not the converts that Christ wants. Christ wants a transformation of someone's heart, a transformation of their mind in such a way that they will grow to love him and not fear him for persecution. He came to bring life, not death. He came to bring new new identities instead of crushing us into himself. In preparing this sermon, I was reminded by my wife of the first time we went running together. And you may think, man, you horrible person, you made your wife go running with you. Well, I just strongly suggested I implored my wife to go running with me when we were first dating. And in that, I was still on active duty. I had an advantage over my wife. And I probably should have been more gentle in that advantage instead of just encouraging my wife to come up to where I was and my capabilities. And I'm glad that she's in the nursery and hopefully she can hear this and and you can't hear her comments right now. But uh, she says that it sounded something like barking because I was encouraging my wife, come on, do harder. Push yourself farther. You can do this. You can do this. And then I would run behind her for a while. And then I'd run in front of her for a while. And all the same, she's going, when are we going home? (laughs) She still loved me despite my inability to lead in a way that was encouraging. I was trying to lead my wife into an activity that we could do together. But I didn't acknowledge the fact that she wasn't there at my level. Christ came and he acknowledged that we weren't at his level. The people that he came to minister to, the lepers, the sinners, the broken, the lame, the ones plagued with bleeding, those that couldn't even walk, they weren't ready to storm a castle. They weren't ready to throw over the Roman Empire. He came to love those who couldn't do for themselves. They had nothing to offer, just as we have nothing to offer. And Christ takes the weak, And uses them to shame the strong. This is the God we love. And looking back, if I had been more like Christ, I would have encouraged my wife, let's go walking first. Let's go jogging first. Let's sprint and then stop. Let's run for five minutes and then stop. Slowly bringing her into the activity instead of saying, I'm pretty sure we can do three miles in an hour. Let's just get going. That's an easy day. Come on, I could probably walk that. No, that's not what Christ does. Christ doesn't throw us into the situation. He invites us. 
If he's walking on the water, he's already doing it and invites us out. If he's ministering to the lepers, he says, come with me, not go ahead of me. This is the Christ and God that we love. That if we go out to share the gospel in Jenkins Valley, he's already out there working on someone's heart. And he's inviting us into that ministry. This is the gentleness, this is the meekness of Christ. That he leads us in such a way that we can actually learn. Instead of breaks us and says, why can't you do this? This is who we serve. But also, he is very patient with us. And we should be the same with one another. Patience is making allowance for other shortcomings. Just as Jackie wasn't all the way there with running when we first went out to run together. So when you try to do ministry, when you try and love on someone in a way that Christ loves on them for the first time, you may have some shortcomings. You may come up short in what you expect you're able to do. 1 Timothy 1.16 reads this, Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. We're still sinners, brothers and sisters. If you think you've arrived, please tell me your secret. Because I make mistakes every week. Every day. Every hour. Yet God is patient with me, the sinner. God is patient with you, brothers and sisters, the sinner. God is patient with those that don't even have Christ out in our neighborhoods. Because He has not come back yet. He is tarrying for the sake that some would know. And come to believe and have eternal life. You know what else was interesting about our marriage when we got married, Jackie and I? I had an expectation that she was an expert homemaker and a wonderful, wonderful cook. (laughs) I just believed it. Um, To name some of uh, our brothers in the faith that sometimes I don't always agree with, I just named it and claimed it. I said, Jackie, you're a great cook, you're a great homemaker, I trust you, I won't get in your way. In that... Jackie humbly has admitted to me that there were some times where she just winged it in the kitchen. There were some times where she just said, I don't know, I just cleaned all day and I hoped it was good enough. But in that, I was doing the same as a husband. Can you see that? When you first come to know Christ, you're on fire. You're God, I want to be the greatest Christian. I'm going to volunteer for everything. I'm going to do anything, Lord. If you want me to go to Asia, I'll go to Asia and tell people about the gospel. I don't even know the full gospel yet, but I'll go. I know enough to be saved, so I know enough to tell somebody. I'm going to go, Lord. And in that, you realize that sometimes you're not all the way there. But Christ has patience with us. He has patience with us before we're saved. He has patience with us as we are being saved and sanctified right after that. And he also has patience with us as we serve. Because remember, we're being implored to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we have been called. What have you been called to do? You've been called to be sanctified. You've been called to serve. Are you an expert at serving? No. Am I an expert at serving? No. Am I an expert at being a pastor? No. But in that, I'm discovering every week, and I hope you are too, that God is showing us what we should do, and He's being patient with us. But again, that puts it on us to be patient with one another. What happens if someone says, we're going to do something this night, and then all of a sudden, you show up, and they change the time to 30 minutes before? Or you show up and the food isn't exactly what it was supposed to be. What do you do? You be patient with one another. 
What do you do? You have gentleness and humility as you love your brother or sister as they're doing ministry alongside you. That is how we get through this, this life, this wonderful blessing of serving Christ. Because see, if I came home and said, Jackie, you've got two more months to figure this out, or I'm just going to have to eat at at Denny's down the road, dear. I mean, this isn't going to work. That's not the leader that Christ calls us to be in our homes. That's not the leader Christ calls us to be in the church. We're to come alongside and say, hey, how can I help? Because it turns out I became the best guinea pig in our home for meals. Jackie would say, how does it taste? How can I make it better? And if I lied, I wasn't helping anybody. If I told her, "Mm, this is the best burnt bread ever, that's not the point. You say, hey, how did it get like this? How can I help? It's still tasty. I'm still going to enjoy this meal, but is it what you wanted it to be? And we had those moments where Jackie cried, and I wondered what I said. But in that, we grew as a couple And in that, in ministry, we're going to have those moments where someone's going to say, look what I did in Jesus' name. And someone's going to say, wow, what did you do? And that person's going to cry. And the other person's going to want to put their foot in their mouth. But in that, we're growing as a church to learn how to do ministry together. And it takes patience. And our fourth item here, and this is the one where it sounds exactly like patience, but it is so different in application. Bearing with one another in love. Allowing the hope of greater things to overcome the desire for quick correction. Jackie was going to be a great homemaker if I hoped in the expectations of things to come instead of cutting her down where she was at. If someone comes in and says, look, God's called me to do this in ministry and we all affirm that that God's calling them to do that in ministry, but the second they mess up, we cut their legs out from underneath them We're not bearing with one another in love. Because someone's going to show up and they're not going to have the right clothes on. Someone's going to show up and they're not going to have it all together. And instead of quickly correcting, we wait until the moment in which we can say, how can I help? How can I encourage? How can I help you shape your ministry and your walk to what God wants it to be? Colossians 3.13 reads, Bear with one another and forgiving each other, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive others. Think about the opposite of these three things. If you've been writing them down, you'll see in your handout, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. What are the opposite of those? What are the opposite? Pride, wrath, impatience, and judging people. Would you go to that church? I don't even think that is a church. Because if pride, wrath, impatience, and judging people are the core values of that church, that's not a church that's following Christ. A church that's following Christ will embody humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. That makes them healthy. That doesn't mean that you go to a church and they have a little bit of pride and a little bit of impatience and you say, you're not following Christ. No, that means I'm going to bear with you and I'm going to ask you, Is that your core value? Are you really trying to be impatient? Or are you just growing like I'm growing? Are you just not there as I'm just not there yet? But in that, if we keep humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another, I'll tell you what it produces. And this is according to God's word. All four of these characteristics, if they're alive and well in a church, is for the sake of unity. These things all involve someone else. They all involve considering someone else, and in that when we consider others 
and we live out these four characteristics as best we can as our core values, we end up being unified because you realize that your pastor is a broken individual saved by Christ, tried to grow into the likeness of Christ. And your pastor realizes that you're the same. And as we walk in ministry together, we keep our eyes on Christ, we realize that no matter how many stitches your pastor gets in a week, how many ibuprofens that he has to take reluctantly to deal with some of the things that happened on accident that week, still, we're moving ahead. Still, you're going to have a week the same. When your pastor's going to walk into your house and say, you promised me you wouldn't do that, and now you're hurt. We talked about this. Well, I know you're having that conversation with your pastor right now. I told you not to do that, and you got hurt doing it. In that, we bear with one another in love, and that unifies us as a body. But here's the interesting thing, and this is your pastor's opinion, but we find out that a healthier, uh, the healthier a church is, the more likely it is that God will add to its members. God continues to give the increase. He gives the increase in our life for the Spirit, the power to struggle with sin, as we've been talking about. He gives the increase for us to grow spiritually, but He's also the one that increases our congregation. We may be out sharing the gospel. We may be out telling people that Macedonia is a place in which they can worship Christ and we're here for them. But in that, God's the one that gives the people. God's the one that gives us the families that we're loving on. God's the one that sends people to this hilltop on Jenkins Valley and Macedonia Road. God does that. We don't strong arm anyone into anything. We are fully dependent on God for salvation God for sanctification, and God for the growth of the church. He loves the church. It's his church. If he's going to grow it, he's going to do it. We participate. James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. If we want to grow in the more likeness of Christ, we must ask for it. If we want to be more humble, more gentle, more patient, and bearing with one another in love, we have to ask God to grow those things in our lives. And if we want to see Macedonia, a church on Jenkins Valley and Macedonia Road, with pews that can't handle any more people, we have to ask God to send them. We have to ask God for the opportunity to share the gospel. We have to be willing to share the gospel. We have to ask God to use us in ministry in our neighborhoods. Are we willing to discover what God can do through us if we would just ask? So let me ask you this question. And again, I hope I get to preach here next week because I know these are things that are hard. They're hard to digest. They're hard to interpret because we have to look at ourselves. But are you willing to discover how to grow in these four characteristics in order to grow as a church? Because remember, your pastor knows a few things here and there, but I don't know what's going on in your life all the time. That's between you and God. If you're a very impatient person, your pastor may not pick up on it for years. But I'm telling you this morning that God's word is asking you to be a patient person with one another. To bear with one another in love. To be gentle and to be a humble person. To be meek. In that, take that to your prayer closet. Get an accountability partner. Ask someone where you're weak at in these four areas. Because it's for the health of the church. It's for your own health. It's like when a doctor says, how's your cholesterol? The doctor doesn't hate you because of the number of your cholesterol. The doctor wants you to live a full life. The doctor doesn't want to give you cholesterol medicine, hopefully. I don't know your doctor. But in that, God wants us to be healthy. But he knows that we have to walk in the manner of the calling that we've received. 
And so if, even if one of these characteristics isn't perfect in your life, maybe one of these characteristics isn't even present in your life, now's the time to ask God for the increase. Now's the time to come to the altar. Now's the time to stay in your pew. Now's the time to go home and get right with God in these four areas. But take the time to be with God and ask for these things. Because if you don't ask for it, we're not moving in the right direction. If we're not saying, God, how can I be a little bit more humble, a little bit more gentle, a little bit more patient? How can I be a little bit more bearing with someone else's shortcomings? And how are you going to grow that in my life, God? Because remember, He is the one that we're dependent on. So in a moment, as we hear the music, as we sing together in unity, if God's working on your heart, if you know Christ and you just don't have all of these things under control, get right with God today. If you don't have Christ and you don't look like Christ and you want to know Christ, this is the time to come to Christ. I'll be down front to minister as God leads you in a relationship deeper with Him. But don't run away from the discovery. Take this moment to speak with God.